Right, let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 tonight. Sunday morning, um, Saturday night actually, early Sunday morning, I had a dream and I shared this Sunday morning. Um, but just this, this whole week, the Lord has been talking to me about this dream and about, um, uh, you know, just, just really expounding on this dream. So I, I just asked the Lord as I was praying about tonight, um, because, you know, I still, I, I'm still working on a couple things as far as the next series we're going to do on Wednesday. And it seems like these little things keep coming up. And, and it, just seemed, it just seemed like the Lord wanted me to, to expound some more and talk some more about this. So, and, and kind of share some of the, the newer things that, he's, that He showed me about this. Because one thing, one thing I found is this. I was talking to a couple ministers uh, this week. And, and one of them, I was telling them about this dream I had. And one of them told me, he was like, one of them said, he said, well, I had a couple dreams, but they weren't from God, you know, or something like that. And I was just like, well, I, I, I thank God mine was, you know, <laughs> mine came from him. And, uh, but after I left, after I, after I had that conversation, I was asking the Lord, you know, I, I, that was like on Monday, or no, that was Tuesday, yesterday. And, uh, and I was just asking the Lord, I said, well, Lord, if this really, if this dream was from you, then, then I should be able to, um, to find scriptures to back it up. You know, I mean, anything we get from God... Uh, must you know it must line up with the word, you know, because anything that doesn't line up with the word, we can't, you know, I, I don't believe we can say that's from God if it doesn't, if we can't find scripture, because um, because you know God is not going now. Sometimes we can't find specific things. I mean, just you know, because because uh, you know, just because I mean, you know, like go to work at this this place or whatever. But we can find examples of of that type of thing in, in the scripture. So, I was praying about it yesterday and even today, and uh, man, the Lord just started showing me, showed me like three different scriptures here uh, about this. So, so I want to, I just want to relate this this dream to you again and just share with you some some other some more revelation the Lord's given me. So, um, and I guess I'll have to back up and and say a couple of weeks ago, the Lord gave me a dream and and I woke up uh, in the middle of the night and and I, and I had this dream and and I, the dream was that I heard or I saw people getting phone calls. And people, as they were getting phone calls, uh, they were, it was phone calls saying that things that they had been believing for and things that, that, that had, that they were, um, you know, that, that kind of for like a long time they had been believing for and, and it seemed like it was just tied up and it was like things just weren't happening with it. People were getting phone calls and the phone calls were saying, you know, this is happening now. And, and it was like God was saying that God told me that things were being unloosed and untied. And that, that those things were going to start happening. And then that next day, when I got up, one of the Facebook posts I saw that was uh, Sean Bowles, who's a prophet uh, from California, uh, he had posted a thing saying something like, uh, you know, that, that the Lord had showed him that, that people were going to be signing contracts, the biggest contracts of their lives in the next, like within the next year or 18 months or something like that. So to me, that was just confirmation that, of the dream that I had. So, uh, so you know, I had, I had been meditating on that dream and just thinking about it some, and and cause, because because Stacy and I had some things that we're believing for and we haven't seen happen, and and uh, you know, so we were, you know, so so I was just praying about that, that and just thanking the Lord that those things, you know, just waiting on my phone call, so to speak, and you know, to 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 come, and uh, and so so then fast forward to to Saturday night, and in the middle of the night, I woke up and um, I was I started thinking about a couple situations that I'm dealing with and. And some some people and different things, and my mind started racing, and and I knew it was in the middle of the night. It was like three o'clock in the morning, 
And, uh, and I get up early on Sundays anyway. I mean, Sunday mornings, I get up like at 4.30, 5 o'clock. And I thought, I thought oh, if I, I was like, if I don't shut my mind off, you know, I won't get any more sleep tonight. And, and so I was like trying to get my mind quiet and, and just kind of shutting my mind off. And, uh, and I, went, I fell back to sleep. But as soon as I fell asleep, I went into this dream. And I saw myself driving a car. And I was driving the car, and, and then I started going up this hill. And as I started going up the hill, the hill got steeper and steeper. And, and, and I started getting slower and slower and slower. And I started noticing the cars around me, people, people had gotten out of their cars and were, like, trying to push their cars up this hill. And, and next thing I know, I see myself outside of my car trying to push my car up this hill. Well, and, and you know, in the natural, we all know that if, 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 you, if you're trying to push a car if the motor's not going to get it up the hill, more than likely you're not going to push it up the hill yourself. You know, that thing's going to roll back over top of you. But here all these people were outside their cars pushing and striving and struggling and, and just really, and, and some of the cars were actually running over them, you know. I mean, it was just in the natural. It was, I mean, just in this dream, I, these people were just trying to push this car. And I started hearing what everybody was saying or what everybody was thinking. And they were, they were having these thoughts like this. Well, nothing good ever happens for me. How come that person succeeds more than I do? How, you know, I'll never have enough money. I'm always broke. I'm always sick. How come, how come I never feel good? And they started, you know, I started just hearing, being bombarded with all these thoughts. And, and then it was like, and you know, in dreams, just things can happen and that's not, that wouldn't happen in the natural. It was almost like at that moment, I just, I just, I heard the Lord just ask me, He just asked me kind of this question. He's like, are you going to continue to have those thoughts or are you going to think about me? So, so I just, so I just stepped away from my car and threw my hands up and I, and, and this is what I said. I, I threw my hands up and I said, Lord, I wasn't designed to carry this load, to push this car up this mountain. I was like, I'm not designed to carry this weight, carry this worry, carry this fear, this anxiety. I said, Lord, I just give it to you and I take my hands off of it. I give it to you because I can't do this. And immediately, I mean, immediately, as soon as I did that, I was up on top of the hill and the car was parked beside me. And I was sitting in a chair, in an easy chair, in a recliner, sipping iced tea, just looking at the scenery. And it was like the Lord told and, and then I woke up. Well, as soon as I woke up, the Lord gave me this scripture. And, uh, and I jotted it down, and, and I didn't look at it right then. I just jotted it down and, and looked it up in the morning, because it was still 3.30 in the morning, you know. And I had, I had about an hour of sleep left, so I thought, I'm going to roll back over here and get back to sleep. But when I got up, I got my note, I, where I had written it down, I got it out and looked at it. And this was the story of um, where Jesus was walking on the water. He, he had called his disciples. He told his disciples to go to the other side. They were struggling in the boat. They had been rowing, in the, and the Amplified says they had went three or four miles, and they were struggling rowing the boat. Jesus walks on the water to them, toward them, and we'll pick up here. In this is John chapter six. We'll just pick up in verse twenty. John chapter six, verse twenty, or verse nineteen, I guess. Verse 19 says, So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furloins, and the Amplified says that was about three to four miles, it says they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing nine to the ship, and they were afraid. But Jesus said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Now look at verse 21. This is the verse the Lord gave me. It said this, the King James says this, Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was out at the land where they went. The Amplified says it this way. It says, Then they, they were quite willing and glad for him to come into the boat. 
And now the boat went at once to the land that they had that they had steered toward, and immediately they reached the shore toward which they had been slowly making their way. So when I read that, those two words just jumped out at me, the, the word willingly and the word immediately. And the Lord spoke to me and He just said this. He said, he said Stephen, He said, when people willingly change their mind and start thinking on the right things, immediately things will start changing for them. When you willingly, not, not, not just because somebody said it, not just because somebody told you to do it, not just because, you know, you heard somebody say, well, change what you're saying. But no, I mean, when you really understand in your heart that you have that heart change where you say, you know what, I've, I've got to start changing. You know, Tanya and I was talking about that little booklet, Words. But, you know, when you get the revelation that where you start saying, you know, I, I have to change what I'm saying. Brother Hagin always used to say, if you don't like where you are today, change what you're saying. Because most of the time, your words is what's caused you to be where you are. You know, your beliefs and your words. So, so you know, the, so those two words just jumped out. And he said, he said, when you willingly, say, when you willingly make that change, then immediately things will start to happen. So, so I, I was meditating on that this week and just... Uh, you know, asking the Lord, especially yesterday and this morning, I was just asking the Lord, I said, okay, Lord, I said, now, if that, if that was from you, and I, and I believe it was, I said, if that was from you, I, I said, show me some scriptures, show me two or three scriptures that backs this up. So the Lord gave me a couple, and he, and he gave me a lot more than this, but tonight I'll just have the time to share a couple. Turn with me to the Old Testament, to Second uh, Kings chapter 20. This is also found in Isaiah 38. This is the story of... Uh, King Hezekiah and Isaiah. And uh, so in Isaiah 38 and 2 Kings 20, this is the same story. But let me, uh, and actually back up to 2 Kings 18 to begin with, because um, you have to see this first. And, um, and let's just start reading in the first verse here, and we'll just read just a couple, a couple verses here. And this is in 2 Kings chapter 18. It says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Eli, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five, twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of uh, Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Now look at verse 4. This is, a, this is an interesting verse. It says, he removed the high places. That was like the temples and the places where they worshipped. It says, he removed the high places and he broke the images and he, and he broke the images and cut down the groves. Now listen to this next statement. And he broke into pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto, the, unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he, and he called, he called it, uh, or he called it something there. He called it a name, <laughs> which which means a bronze triple, a trifle. So so notice here. You know we all know the story of we all know the story of the bronze serpent, where Moses when he was when he was uh, delivering the children of Israel, they were all complaining and murmuring and griping and complaining. Here's here it is again. Our thoughts, our words, and and you know and and God sent serpents, deadly serpents, out among them and started biting them, and they started dying. Moses went to the Lord, and the Lord told him to take this serpent. As a matter of fact, like two weeks ago, two Wednesday nights ago, we talked about this. 
uh, I think in one of the sermons or in one of the messages a couple weeks ago. But, but we took the, you know, God told Moses, take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and lift it up. And he said this, he said, anybody, he said, anybody who gazes at, this, at the bronze serpent on a pole shall live. And it wasn't just a glance. It wasn't just looking over there and looking at it and then looking away. But it was, that word, that word uh, gaze, it says anybody that gazes at it, that word gaze means to fix your attention on it. So what, what he was saying was this. Don't look at the circumstances. This was two weeks ago, I guess, because we talked about keeping your eyes on Jesus, talking about Peter walking on the water. But, but in the, the story of the bronze serpent, he said if you, if you will look at the bronze serpent and not look at the circumstances. Now, that was a hard thing to do if you think about that because there are snakes around your feet, and he's telling you don't look at the snakes, look at the, look at the snake up on the pole. Look at the bronze serpent up on Keep your gaze up here because when you keep your gaze up here, then what, what goes on down here won't bother you. You know, so, so, uh, so that was hundreds of years back, right? Now, here we, have, here we have Hezekiah. When Hezekiah becomes king, it says that he came in and he did all that was right in the sight of God. And, and you know, in, in his heart, according to his heart, everything that he, he knew to do. Now, we, when you read about Hezekiah, he wasn't perfect. None of the kings were perfect. But, but it does say that he had a heart. You know, he did everything that he, he tried his best to do everything after God. And one of the things that he did right, because a lot of the kings, when you read about the kings, is that they would come in and they wouldn't tear down the high places. They would leave the high places. They would leave the temples and they would leave the groves and they would do all of that stuff. And people would continue to worship other gods. Here it says Hezekiah came in and tore down all the high places, smashed all the idols, cut down all the groves, and then it says, and this is an interesting thing, it says that he took the bronze serpent that Moses had made and he crushed it. Now, the interesting thing about it is, is that the bronze serpent is not mentioned from the time Moses, when it, when it was, you know, the miracle that happened all the way back when Moses lifted that bronze serpent up until right now where Hezekiah, hundreds of years later, the bronze serpent was never mentioned again. But here it says this, the reason, he, the reason Hezekiah crushed it was because it said that the people had really made it an idol and that they offered incense to it because of what happened all the way back there in Moses' day. And they had, they had literally made that bronze serpent an idol and it had, they had put that in front of having a relationship with God. So Hezekiah comes in crushes the serpent, smashes it into pieces, okay? So now, fast forward a few years, and Hezekiah is still, Hezekiah is still uh, king. And uh, let's look in chapter 20. So we fast forward just a couple chapters in, in 2 Kings 19, verse 20. And it says this, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of uh, Amoz, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now, boy, that was a good report, wasn't it? Because, because you know, you remember in that day now, in that day, three people, three people heard from the Lord. The priest, the prophet, and the king. And most of the time, the king would send for a priest or a prophet. So now here Hezekiah is, as a king, Hezekiah is sick. And it says he's sick unto death. We don't know we don't know what's wrong with him, but you know it doesn't really say it doesn't go into detail what's wrong with him. But we know that this this sickness is about to kill him. 
Isaiah the prophet shows up, goes up to his room, and probably Hezekiah is probably thinking, good, the prophet's here. You know, I'm going to get a word from the Lord. He's going to, he's going to heal me. He's going to, you know, he's going to uh, take care of this, and it's going to be fine. The prophet shows up and says, King, here's the word of the Lord. Get your house in order, because you're going to die and not live. And probably the king's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I heard that wrong, right? I'm going to live and not die. But the prophet said, no, you're going to die and not live. And, and Isaiah turns around and walks out of the room. Now, Hezekiah has a choice here. Because Hezekiah, could have, he could have pouted. He could have got mad at God. He could have, he could have yelled and screamed and, and called for the head of the prophet to be cut off. Because a lot of times when a prophet prophesied something to the king and the king didn't like it, he would just have the prophet killed and call the next prophet in. And the next prophet probably knew what the other prophet said, so he probably prophesied badly so that, so that his head didn't get chopped off. But now here, Hezekiah, let's look at Hezekiah's reaction. It says this in verse 2, Then he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sorely. Now, now here's what the Lord told me, and we'll read the next verse in a moment, but, but here's what the Lord said. He, said. he said, notice what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah didn't gripe about what the prophet said. He didn't, he didn't complain about what the prophet said. He didn't, I mean, he could have got bitter. He could have got mad. He could have got upset. After all, he was the king. He was, I mean, he was the ruler of the kingdom here. But what did Hezekiah do? It said he turned his face to the wall. What does that mean? That means he turned his face from every distraction. He turned his face from every problem, from, every, from everything everybody else was saying. And he said, I don't care what all of that says. I'm going to focus on God. You, what, what he did was this. Instead of pushing his car up the hill anymore, he took his hands off. And he said, God, I can't do this. And, he, and, you know, and his prayer was, God, now you know... I've done, you know, he, he says his heart was perfect. What he meant was just that he was upright and he did the right things to God. And, but then it says, you know that his heart was right because it says he wept sorely or he wept bitterly, you know. And, in other words, he poured his heart out to God. He turned his face to the wall and he said, you know what? I can't do this, God. This is in your hands. And then look at, verse, look at what happened. And it came to pass after, or no, it came to pass afore or before, I mean that word afore in the King James, other translations before, it says it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will heal thee, on the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And he goes on and tells them some other things. But notice what happened. When he turned his face to the wall, immediately the word of the Lord came back to Isaiah. Now you put that with John six twenty one. Willingly, they welcomed Jesus into the ship, and immediately it was on the other side. Here, um, you know... Hezekiah willingly, by himself, without, without getting offended, without getting upset, he turned his face to God, got his attention on God, and when God heard his prayer, then before Isaiah could even get out of the house, the Lord spoke to him and says, turn around and go tell him I heard his prayer. Willingly and immediately. 
<laughs> you know, when you willingly put, when you willingly allow God to do things, when you when you make that dedication in your heart and you say, you know what, I'm going to start saying the right thing. I'm going to start thinking the right thing. I'm going to start watching what my words say. You know, and I'm going to start. You know, I want to watch what what's going on in my heart. Then immediately things will start changing for you in your life. <coughs> now, so that was that was one of the situations, one of the things. And, and the reason, and now listen, one of the reasons why I read Isaiah, or I mean, Second uh, Kings eighteen, was because of this, because one of the things that Hezekiah had to do, because listen, Hezekiah could have, he, you know, he could have said this. He could have said, "Oh, if only I hadn't, if only I hadn't crushed the bronze serpent." You know, I could have looked upon the bronze serpent. I could have offered incense to the bronze serpent, and maybe God would have heard me. But he didn't do that. He turned his face to the wall and prayed straight to God. You see, listen, when we, when we get our eyes on other things besides God, we get into trouble. And here Hezekiah, Hezekiah just said, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I'm going to turn my face to you, and I'm going to, I'm going to look and, and depend totally on you. And when they did that, immediately, immediately, the Lord spoke back to Isaiah and said, Now, you know, go tell him, go tell him I want to add 15 years to his life. That's pretty, incredi- pretty incredible, isn't it? Now, let's turn over to the New Testament and let's look on, um, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Because here, I, the, the part the Lord really focused, focused on, focused to me about, or really kind of highlighted to me, was just our thoughts. Because our thoughts turn into our words. And, you know, and it's very important for us to understand that, that what we think about um, will determine what, the way we're going to live. Actually, uh, stop off in Philippians there. I told you. Uh, or go back. No, no, we'll start in Ephesians first, and then we'll go over to Philippians. I'm sorry. I said that backwards. I, I said that right to begin with. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians 4. Now, may I, uh, let me see how much of this I want to read, because this is some good stuff here. Um, well, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to skip down a little bit. Let's, because I, I got, I got one other place I want to get to. Uh, let's look here in um, verse 17. Hmm. Verse 17. All right, it says this. He said uh, in Ephesians four seventeen, it says, "This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind." Now, notice Paul's going to start talking a lot about here about uh, the difference between the old life and the new life, the old man and the new man, putting off the old, putting on the new, and and he talks a lot about your mind here, because because um, you know we we talk about this, and you guys know this. Probably the biggest battle we face is right here between our ears. The things we think on, we, we start thinking on things, we start meditating on things, and most of the time the things that we worry about and the things that, that, that we spend our, all of our time meditating on, most of the time that does, it, it never even will come to pass anyway. We spend all of our time worrying about something that never, that never, will come, that never does come to pass. So he says, he says, now don't, he says, you're not going to walk like the other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them 
because of the blindness of their heart. I mean, we, I could talk a lot about that. That word blindness is actually the word hardness. The hardness, the hardness of their heart. And so many people, so many people have a hard heart toward God. And, and they just won't listen to Him. And, and you know, and if you have a hard heart, and you're, you're, and it, a hard heart will blind you and deafen you to the things that God is trying to say. That's a whole nother sermon. So we'll, we'll come back to that maybe one day. Verse 19 says, Who being past feeling have, got, have given themselves over to lasciviousness or just to the works of the flesh to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But now look at verse 20. He says this, But you have not so learned Christ. In other words, in other words he says, you know, that's not who you are. You're not one of those that gives yourself over to the flesh. You're not one of those that are blinded. You, you learned something different. And what was it you learned? You learned about Jesus. Verse 21, he goes on to say this, If so be that you have heard Him, and you have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, that word conversation just means lifestyle, that you put off concerning the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now notice he didn't just say here. Now we know in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he talks about renewing the mind and, and how we, we offer our bodies as a willing sacrifice that's our acceptable service. But notice here, it's interesting that Paul uses this word here. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So actually, he's kind of going even to a deeper level here. He said this is not so much even about just, just your natural mind. He says, but this is a spiritual thing. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the whole attitude of your mind. Be renewed in the whole process of how you think about things. If not, he said, don't think natural anymore. He said, be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Because you see, because if, if, we, if we always just put everything over here in the natural, we're always going to struggle because, because it's always a battle. But once, once the spirit of our mind's been renewed, we start seeing and hearing and understanding like God. And man, it's so much greater than just staying over in the natural realm. And, and I, I, I've got to get somewhere so I, I, we can spend a whole lot of time talking about that. I've got one scripture I really want to get to tonight. But then he says this, um, um, he says, be, but put on the, uh, let's see, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, now listen to what he says. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And, you know, and I, I've got a statement I wrote down here. Lies always protect the flesh. Lies always protect the flesh. In other words, you'll never have to lie to protect the spirit. If you tell a lie, it's always going to be because your flesh is winning. Amen. That's worth the price of admission tonight. Amen. <clears throat> Verse 26. Be you angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Man, let me, let me read that from, uh, this is actually, uh, uh, let me see if this is, I don't know if I want to read this from the Passion or the, uh, BJ gave me this, uh, this mirror Bible, 
Man, it's a pretty cool. It's a pretty cool translation here. Let me see if this is where uh, Ephesians. Where am I? Ephesians four uh, twenty-seven. Let me see which one. Yeah. Now listen to this. Listen. This is the mirror translation. It says in verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. It says, "Even if you think you have a valid excuse, do not let anger dominate your day. If you don't deal with it immediately." In the light of the likeness of Christ in you, the sun sets for you and your day becomes one of lost opportunity where darkness employs anger to snare you into sin. But now listen to verse 27. This is the one I wanted to read. It says this, Any sin that you tolerate is an open invitation to the devil. Do not give him a platform to operate from. Isn't that good? Man, I, I, I read that and I, and I was just like, man, I've got to, I've got to share that with you guys. So he goes on and he says, um, he goes on to verse twenty-eight. He says, "Let them that steal stole, or let them that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may uh, be able to give to him that needeth." And then look at verse twenty-nine. He says this: "Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace." Unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. The Amplified of that verse 32 says, says And become useful and helpful and kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted, forgiving one another readily and, and freely as God in Christ forgave you. Boy, isn't that powerful? Now, I, we can spend a whole lot of time on that, but here's, here's the point I want you to see. When we get into those type of things, when we get into anger and bitterness and envy and strife and, and all those things, we, we not only give Satan place... But what we do, we find ourselves pushing our load up the mountain. And we push and we struggle and we strive where God wants us, God wants us to take our hands off and stop all of that stuff and just start loving people. And start walking in love and start being an example of Christ to everybody and everywhere we go. And because, because what happens, what happens then is this. What happens then is that we find ourselves up on top of the mountain, the, the cars beside us. In other words, what that represents, I forgot to mention this earlier, what the Lord told me with the car sitting beside me is this, the work's already finished. You're no longer pushing, you're no longer trying to get the work done. When you give it to Him, the work's finished. And you're sitting, enjoying the view, resting. What is that in Matthew? Is that Matthew chapter 6 from the message? It says, you know, learn how to take a real rest. You know, you know the, the, the unforced rhythm of grace. You know, learn how to take a real rest. Amen. Now, turn real quick to Philippians chapter 4, and then we're going to go to uh, 2 Corinthians 10. i got to get this in. Philippians chapter 4. Now, this scripture, we know this scripture well. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> in uh, verse 6 through 8. He says this, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Those are, man, those are two powerful verses. But verse 8 is really the verse I want you to see it from this standpoint. He says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, if you're thinking anything other than good and, and pure and holy and just and, and uh, lovely and good report, and, uh, things of virtue, if you're thinking anything other than that, you're wasting your time and you'll find yourself pushing instead of resting. I heard, uh, I heard somebody put it this way yesterday. He said this, he said, he said, when you're working, God's resting. But when you're resting, God's working. In other words, when you've got your hands on it, God takes His hands off. When you take your hands off, then He gets involved. You know, and so that, I mean, that was, that's, that's, a, that's a good example of that. Now, this, here's where I wanted to get. 2 Corinthians. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn back to Corinthians here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, again, this is a very familiar um, passage to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I marked these. I was trying to see if... Uh... Yeah, okay. And I brought my Passion, too. I was trying to see why. I'll, I'll read both these from the Passion, because both, I mean, from the Passion and from the Mirror. This, they're good. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 6. Let me read it from the... Uh... Oh, I'm in chapter 9. They don't look right. Chapter 10. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 6. I was thinking I wrote down the wrong thing. Verse 3 says this, from the King James, says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having, uh, having in a readiness to, re, uh, to revenge all disobedience... When your obedience is fulfilled. Now, let me read that from these, uh, from the mirror and then from the passion, and then we'll talk about it. Um, the fact that we're living in a, this is from the mirror Bible. The fact that we're living in a physical world in human bodies of flesh does not mean that we engage ourselves in combat dictated by the typical tit for tat strategies of the politics of the day. The dynamic of our strategy is revealed in God's ability to disengage mindsets and perceptions that have held people captive in studio um, fortresses for centuries. But now listen to verse 5. This is, this is incredible from this, uh, from this translation here, or this uh, paraphrase. He says, Every lofty idea and argument positioned against the knowledge of God is cast down and exposed to be a mere invention of our own imagination." We arrest every thought that could possibly trigger an opposing threat to our redeemed identity and innocence at spear point. The caliber of our weapon is empowered by the revelation of the ultimate consequence of the obedience of Christ. Now listen, listen to that again. He says, we arrest every thought that could possibly trigger an opposing threat to our redeemed identity and, the, and our innocence. We... we Arrest it at spear point. 
In other words, where it says that we take captivity, the word for captivity there in the King James, that, that's an actual, is an actual, uh, like a, a war term, but it means at spear point. If, if it was written today, it, probably a better translation for today would be, you know, we take it captive at gunpoint. Back then, they used spears. You know, that's, what, that's the weapon they had. Today, there would be guns. It says, you know, we take every thought at gunpoint. You know, and I mean, in other words, it's the strongest weapon of the day, right? Now, the, the Passion translation says it this way. Um, let me get to verse 3. It says, for although, we, uh, for although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aim. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We, we can demolish, now listen to this, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the Anointed One. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. Man, that is powerful. Now this verse, let me just share this with you, because this verse really, for the longest time, I didn't understand... Well, I, I mean, I understood it, but I always thought, I always kind of struggled with this verse. And let me, let me share why with you. In verse 5, it says this. Uh, let's just break down verse 5. It says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, let, let's let's think for a moment. The, the, as I was praying this afternoon, the Lord gave me this example, and I hope this works. Um, I hope I get it out like like I thought. I think it'll come out. But you know, think think about if you get arrested. Think about if you do something wrong, you break a law, and a policeman comes and arrests you. Okay. Now, when they arrest you, they don't keep you on the street. You know, in other words, when you get arrested, they take you somewhere. Now see, and, and from here, you know, in the King James here, it says, it says we, they take every, every thought captive. But notice, notice what it says. I shouldn't have shut my Bible there. It says we take every thought captive, and we, where do we bring it to? Because see, that's, that was my question. I always thought, well, what, when you take it captive, what do you do with it? Because if you capture something, and then you don't do something with it, if you just let it go, it's going to come right back. Right? I mean, if you capture a bug and you let the bug go, then it's going to be loose in your house again. You know, you've got, when you capture something, you've got to take it somewhere where it's not going to bother you anymore. So if you break a law and the police come and they arrest you, they're not going to just arrest you and then turn you loose back out in the parking lot. They're going to arrest you and take you to a jail, a jail cell or a holding cell, until what? I mean, what happens then? Then, then when you get, when you're in that jail cell, there'll come a time when you come before a judge or, or, you know, or, or some, somehow, you know, most of the time you go before a judge, but if you get arrested, but you'll come before a judge and, and someone will, will present the truth versus the lie. 
Because there's always a truth and a lie when you have two different opposing things, right? Like if if I if I if I walked out of here today and said said uh, man Michael Michael came into church tonight and he held me up at gunpoint and he and he he took all my Bibles and he took all my all my phone and he took all this stuff and and you know Michael sitting right here if if like if if I was just standing here telling this story I can't believe before everybody got here. Michael over here held me up by gunpowder and took my phone, you know, and I'm holding it up. He took my phone, he took my Bibles, he took everything and, and took off run away. And he's sitting right there. You'd probably be looking at me like, what are you talking about? You know, that don't even make sense. So, so what I'm, here, here's the point I'm making in that. So, so when you get arrested, you go, you, they take you somewhere. When those thoughts and those imaginations come in our mind, we can't just capture them and then let them go. You've got to do something with it. What do you do? What do you do with those thoughts and imaginations that you that that rise up against God's word? It says you take them. Now notice what it says. It says you take them. Um, it says casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought. And here's where it says you bring into captivity every thought. You bring it to the obedience of Christ. So now here, now check this out. Here's here's what the Lord showed me. So going back to the jail example, okay. So I I I, I get uh, you know I get arrested for for something, and I get when I stand before the judge, the judge is going to look at the statute, going to look at the law, and then he's going to hear my story, and the judge is going to decide which one is true. And and if he feels like that I'm telling the truth, then he will release me. But if he feels like the law is telling the truth, then he's going to keep me in captivity and not let me go. So here's what we do. Every thought, every time, when, when, when the devil tells us, you've got to get out and push this car because you're not going to get your healing today. You know, you're not going to get that bill paid because you'll never have enough. You're always in lack. When, when that thought comes, here's what you have to do. You have to, you have to take that thing captive. Remember, we, from the mirror and from the, from the passion, we read we take it at spear point. We take it by force. We don't play with it. We don't think, oh, well, that thought won't bother me. No. Anything that goes against God's Word, we take it captive and we take it to the obedience of Christ. Now, what does that mean? We take it and we compare it to what Jesus did on the cross, and we say, now, which one of these is true? And if Jesus is true, if Jesus was, was, uh, was hung on that cross, and the, by His stripes I'm healed, and I'm hearing this lie over here saying you'll never get healed, then I take that thing captive and I say, no, you're getting out of here. And I cast that thing down and throw it away. Because now I've compared it to the truth. I've compared it. Now, what have I compared it to? I've compared it to the obedience of Christ. Now, you can go all the way back to Romans. And in Romans, you see where, where in Romans he talks about that by one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world. But he says how much more by one man's obedience is every man set free. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing that. But so what he's saying is this. Just like Adam, because Adam and Eve's choice let sin come in the world... Because Jesus was obedient, now when we trust Him and we, when we bring every thought and every, everything that, that tries to present itself against God, we bring every thought over to Jesus and we compare it to Him and His obedience and what He did. We compare it to redemption. We compare it to, 
to salvation, we compare it to healing, to everything that, that His Word says, when we compare it to that, then we decide, we decide which one we're going to believe. And see, and if we, and if we go with Jesus, then, then healing is ours. But if all of a sudden we start comparing it, we start saying, well, yeah, but Uncle Bob didn't get healed. Aunt Sally didn't get healed. I know the Bible says this, but, you know, I just, I haven't ever experienced it. I hadn't ever seen it, so I don't know. Then all of a sudden what? Remember what Bill Johnson says. He says that it's when you believe the lie, you empower the liar. The lie has no power until you believe it. So just, just because the thought comes, hey, you're not going to receive your healing. You're not going to get healed from this. Well, just because that thought comes, it has no power until you say, man, you're right, I'm not going to get healed. And then all of a sudden, you just empowered it. Where if you don't believe that, if you, believe, you say, no, I'm going to believe God's Word. I don't care what my body's saying, the doctors are saying, I'm going to believe God's Word then we take that thought captive and we cast it into the pit. We cast it away from us and that thought can't come back to us. It can't hurt us. Now, it'll come, I mean, it may come back, you understand, but what I'm saying is this, at that moment it won't hurt you because now you've, you've brought it into, a, into the obedience of Christ and you've believed Christ over that lie. And what happens is this, it's, it's, the, it's the scenario of this. If you, if, if, if you believe the lie, you'll end up pushing your car, trying to push your car up the hill. If you take it into the obedience of Christ, you'll end up sitting in the easy chair up there with the work already finished, sipping on an iced tea. And just enjoying the benefits of God. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so listen, I just, want, I, I just wanted to encourage you tonight. I mean, I, ho- I hope that, I mean, I know it probably wasn't as powerful as it was to me because, I mean, because it was firsthand to me, but, but I hope I got that over enough tonight to where, to where you can see that picture. The next, time, the next time a thought comes or the next time an opportunity comes for you to, to compare something between, between Jesus and a, and a lie somewhere, compare, ask yourself, do I want to push that thing up the hill or do I want to be up there sitting in the easy chair enjoying the blessings? And that's the difference between believing the lie or taking it captive and bringing it to the obedience of Christ, saying, no, Jesus paid the price. I don't have to. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let me pray for you. Amen. Well, Father, my prayer tonight is, Lord, that they would, that, Lord, each one of us would get a stronger revelation of the Word that, that was brought forth tonight, Lord. Father, help us understand what it means to bring those thoughts into the obedience of Christ. To see the power of, of understanding what Jesus did for us. To know that, that, Father, that's why it's so important to hide Your Word in our heart. So when those lies come, we know what Your Word says. So I thank You, Father, for the Word that we have. I thank You, Father, for the, for the written Word we have. And, Father, that we can bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and compare it to what you did for us, Jesus. And then we can make the determination of whether we're going to believe Jesus or whether we're going to believe the lie. Lord, it's it's like Hezekiah. We can choose whether we're just going to accept death or whether we're going to turn our face to the wall and cry out to you. 
So, Father, I thank You for that. I thank You for showing us examples in the Word where this is true. Things we can think on. Things, the power of our thoughts, the power of our words. And, Lord, how we bring those things into captivity by bringing it to, to, to understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. So I thank You for that. I pray blessings on each one tonight, Lord. Give us a great week, Lord. We pray, uh, we, we just were reminded of all the prayer requests tonight, Lord. The ones hurting, the ones in need, the families that are, that are, um, Father, that have lost loved ones. Uh, not lost, but Lord, just they, they're, they're in glory with You, but Lord, that, that they're no longer here on the earth. But I just pray, I just pray, Father, that, that, uh, Your peace and comfort and strength will be with all these. And we give You all the glory, Father. We love You so much. In Jesus' name, amen.